Christ is risen. Some Sundays it's like, you know, everyone's talking and we have to kind of corral everyone in. And, and some sometimes everyone's just ready and because I oh because I started this I don't remember that <laughs> but that, whatever it takes all right a couple things before we get started um, one is up upstairs I put them up in the like the entryway there's uh, like a little plastic holder with some sheets, half sheets in it. Um, it says Faith of Our Fathers at the top. It's a whole series of um, church father quotations for each Sunday of the year um, that I'll just print there, and just for if you want to pick one up and read through it. It's, like this week has five of them. It's a lot of them, like three of them, no, two of them this week are from Luther. One's from St. Hilary. We had talked about him when we were going through uh, church history. Gregory the Great, we haven't gotten to him yet. But quotes usually on the readings for like, today, so the ones up there would be the various quotes. So if, if that's useful to you, they'll be there. Second, um, no Bible class next week because we'll be practicing uh, for Christmas Eve with the kids and they need me up there to, to go through that with them. So next Sunday, no Bible class. The following Sunday... There will still be time for Bible class. There won't be Sunday school per se. Well, we're going to give the Sunday school, regular Sunday school teachers a, a Sunday off. Um, so we're, we're not skipping a, a story that we're going to go through a hymn, uh, a hymn study. And we'll just divide up kids in one group and uh, older kids and adults together. Kind of like we did this summer. Um, I, I'm really kind of excited about this. I hope you can join us for that. Uh, so it'll be the Sunday after Christmas uh, is a hymn. We have one stanza in our current hymnal. Uh, one stanza of this hymn, Break Forth of Beauty's Heavenly Light. The new hymnal, Wellsham, doesn't have it in there at all. But it originally has ten stanzas. This is, uh, I was showing Laura this, uh, this is hymnal Carl Hefner. This was, was uh, you thought it was your dad's grandpa, your great-grandpa probably. Um, his hymnal, so this is a Wells hymnal from, I, I don't know exactly when it's printed because it doesn't have a date in it. But the very first Christmas hymn in the Christmas section is this hymn with ten stanzas. And so we're going to look into this hymn. Um, I'm going to try to find an English translation for you between now and then so that you don't have to learn German. Um, but I was looking through it and it's really... Really exciting, really good stuff in there. I mean, maybe we'll be able to recover that hymn that was lost to us. We once had it here. We once had it in your hymnals, first hymn in the hymnal in the Christmas section. Um, and uh, maybe it's worth keep it, keeping around. We'll see. Um, I think that's it. So um, we, I was told that I'm, I need to end a little bit early today. So we're only going to go through three verses today, um, which might, might not be that much of a stretch, um, but uh, the next verses, so we're going to do the first, we finished up chapter one last time, um, and so we're beginning chapter two, uh, these first three verses go together, but then this next section, four to ten, so 
kind of update. I mentioned that I'm working through a commentary uh, by uh, George Steckhart on First Peter. And in, in, I'm, as I'm reading through it, realizing more and more that it needs to be translated into English. Like, and, and published, it's never been. Uh, there's a version of lectures that this professor gave that are similar, um, but this, this commentary has never been published in English. Um, in the, on these first three verses, he has maybe four or five pages on these first three verses. Then verses four through 10, he has like 20 something pages. And, and if I, I didn't, I, I need more time to get through verses four through 10 um, to prepare for you, uh, to go through, because there's a lot of wonderful stuff in that section. So we're gonna look at verses one through three. I will point out, as we were talking last time, these verses that are quoted from Isaiah, chapter 40, um, that is the Old Testament reading today. So we talked a little bit about that. Um, we'll read all flesh is grass. And here he was contrasting that, the perishable, the perishable seed with which you're born, and uh, like our flesh, with the imperishable that comes through the, li- the, the word of God that remains, and that's where this quote comes in. That the word of God, our flesh is perishable, it dies. But the word of God, and that's, so we heard that last week in the gospel where Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but, what do you say? My words will never pass away. And then today we get to hear again, uh, Isaiah remind us that all flesh is grass, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is what you have. This is the good news that's been preached to you. All right. So let's look at verses 1 through 3, and since we haven't seen that before, um, let's read those verses together. Ready? So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So building on where he had been in this um, encouragement to um, brotherly love in this previous section, based on what you've received, having purified your souls by the truth, um, so then he's going on to this admonition, this encouragement. so here it is. So put away all malice and deceit and uh, hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And what you notice there is you've got a list, a list of terms um, and that we are to put away, to send away. Um, what we, it's useful for us to go through. What are these? What's the meaning of these vices listed here? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. What is malice? <coughs> Being mean. Um, yeah, you can get that a little bit in the in in the term. Um, you you that if someone's used as a prefix like mal like maladjusted, mal means evil. So uh, malice is usually like yeah, it's evil intent, um, ill will. So it it has the, the the intent behind it to to harm or to do evil, right? So there's malice. Uh, deceit. That's, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, we have a related word, the word deception, right? Um, to deceive is to trick um, uh, what, and now these again are English terms translating Greek words, but so if we find out the definition of the Greek word, that's how we get our English translation. Um, the word here is to is is by trickery um, to take advantage of someone through craft or cunning is deceit. No. Um, hypocrisy. We we actually had I didn't point this out and I should have when we were in this previous section. There is a word the the Greek word it uses the word hypocrisy. So Greek hip. hip Hypocrisy is actually a Greek word, hypocrites. Um, so when we had here in verse 22, this word sincere, um, in Greek, this is unhypocritical, is what they use. Um, that's why we translate it sincere. So the opposite of sincerity is hypocrisy, at least with this, with this translation. Unhypocritical. Where the term comes from is, is like... Um, uh, a, a hypocrite in, in like Greek plays was, it was putting on a mask and pretending to be someone that you're not, which is what you do in a play, right? The actor puts on a mask and they pretend that they're someone different. Um, and that's, that's the origin of the word uh, hypocrisy. So he says, put away all malice, deceit, and hypocrisy. Um, we just translate that word into English, hypocrisy, but it comes from, it's, the, it's actually just a Greek word that we didn't really translate, we just, we just use and we have a sense. Um, you've maybe heard, you've maybe heard, have you ever heard someone, you know, I don't know, you, people, it's funny, uh, people like to complain about hypocrites, um, always when it's someone else. Um, uh, it's, it's often a charge that someone levels against someone else that they are a hypocrite. Um, not usually it's something that someone confesses about themselves. Um, but you've maybe heard someone say something like, well, those people, you know, in what, in what circumstances would someone say, well, the people that go to church, they're hypocrites. Churches are full of a bunch of hypocrites. What do they usually mean by that? They probably weren't being too good on and, and the, the, so their behavior in some way. And they're judging them. The other person is, or that the, the, the Christians are judging? Yeah, well, which is interesting that the person calling someone else a hypocrite is kind of doing a little bit of judging. You know? uh, all, those, all those people, they're hypocrites, they're judgmental, says the judge. <laughs> um, but in any case, so someone whose life in that view, or that, that kind of charge that's level, is their behavior is contradicting, and it, and it certainly could. I mean, we're capable of that. <laughs> is sinning, uh, at, so you, for a Christian, for most of the church, is sinning hypocrisy? Does it make you a hypocrite? When you sin, I don't think so. I mean, it depends on if you're sinning on purpose or. Sure. Because if you look at like 
if, if, the, if the outside people here say that, like, if the teaching of the church is moral behavior, mainly, <laughs> and then your moral behavior is different, well, then now you know that this is divine. So, what is the teaching of the Christian church? It's, it's yes, yes, we do teach moral behavior, right? We, we teach, you know, put away all malice and deceit, right? But what is the essence of what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a forgiven sinner. Um, there's you know, all only hypocrites in church. I, my, my response usually is, well, we've got room for one more. <laughs> um, or, or say, well, of course we are. Um, but that's, of course, taking on kind of a general, I mean, using their definition of hypocrite. Is they welcome me, what they mean is sinner. And of course we're sinners. That's why we're here, right? That's why we need to be here. Um, there's a. Uh, and, and wrestling with um, the possibility of, of uh, hypocrisy. We would want to avoid that. So the. Um, you want Sebastian Bach wrote cantatas for some days of the year, but not during Advent. They didn't do cantatas during Advent in Lent because the, the music was muted during those seasons. And so they didn't, didn't do that. But there are a couple that exist, usually when he was in somewhere else where he wasn't serving in churches. So that, anyway, there's one for next Sunday, for the fourth Sunday in Advent. Uh, and it's based on the gospel for next Sunday. Well, actually, we'll hear it next Sunday. We'll have slightly different readings next Sunday because it's the 24th. Um, well, you'll get to read the order next week uh, and find that out. But normally, fourth Sunday in Advent is the, the, the Jews coming to John the Baptist and saying, who are you? Are you the Christ? And John confesses. He says, no, I'm not the Christ. Um, and in this cantata, Bach uses that. He uses this. this. So he turns, it on the, turns the question on the Christian. You know, they ask John the Baptist, and he confessed clearly who he was. And so the, the cantata asks, and this, asks the question, who are you, Christian? Who do you think you are? Uh, it's, a, it's a very, very dramatic um, section of music. He says, who are you, Christian? Um, go ask your conscience who you are. It'll tell you. Honestly, ask your conscience who you are, and what is it going to tell you? Your conscience only speaks one way. Your conscience only raises the flag when there's something wrong, right? It'll be honest. It'll trouble you. Um, who are you, Christian? It says, ask the law. Ask the Ten Commandments who you are. That will give you an honest picture. And the, and the response of the person who's, who's reflecting on this says, I'm ruined. Says, I'm a hypocritical Christian. I'm supposed to confess with my life, and I've denied my Lord with my life. Um, it's this kind of just stark, strong confession of sin that he does. It's like, what, what, what's wrong? And even gets to the point where I'm wondering if maybe his baptism got broken. Um, but then the answer, of course, is no, this is what it means to be a Christian, to be called in Christ. What it is. That's not hypocrisy to, to, to sin. Um, but hypocrisy, generally, when you say one thing and you believe it, or you, what you put forward is different than what you really are. Um, someone who doesn't pretend to not be a sinner so that, that he's not a sinner, that's not hypocrisy. Um, and even someone who 
you know, who sins and therefore needs to be in church on Sunday. That's entirely not hypocrisy at all. <laughs> you know, it is hypocrisy if he pretends like, that, you know, he pretends on Sunday morning that he's not a sinner. Um, but, you know, that would also, I mean, would you pretend that you're not a sinner any time. That's pretending that you're, that you're not too. So, hypocrisy. Um, envy? What is envy? I think we have a word, another word that's kind of a very, very similar, almost a synonym. Jealousy. Um, there's a little bit of a difference, I think, but um, but that's the idea of, of um, looking at what someone has. Um, there's there's it's some of some of the um, the passages in the Bible that use this word uses it with like um, the one. Where the one where Jesus tells where they have the workers in the vineyard and they work different hours of the day. The, you know, they, they start some start at the beginning and then some get hired at the end. Um, and at the end, they all get paid the same. And then the one guy says, or you know, they they expect them to receive more. The ones who work the whole full day. And the, the master says, um, our translation goes, "Do not be envious because I am generous. Don't I have the right to give what I want with my own money? Uh, don't be envious." Um, the the word behind that in, in Greek is that your eye is evil. It's an evil eye that looks at what belongs to someone else or looks at always at what and comparing himself to what someone else has and wanting, you know, wanting rights and wanting to have what com what's coming to me is an evil eye. So envy might not always be looking for something that, you know, doesn't belong to me. It could envious and being envious could also be something that I think I have coming. You know, um, so we get tricked by those things when we're, we get tricked when we're right. It's a deception of the devil to trick us when we're right. Like when we're wrong, you know, that that's one trick the devil uses to get us to, to do wrong. Right? Um, another example of that he doesn't list that here um, is anger. I think. It's a nasty trick of the devil to tempt us. Um, and really, resentment could be in this, in this too. When someone harms us, someone does something to us, and then because, because we were wrong, then we feel righteous in whatever it is that we do back to them. Because it's kind of a bad time, right? And you kind of use our sense of justice to do what is wrong, and we don't, we don't, it doesn't, because we think we're right. And maybe we were, you know, because someone did wrong us, and so we were right. Therefore, I must also be right in just being mad at them. And I feel, I feel all the evil because I was wrong, right? Um, and the devil can trick us into, into a behavior, and I think sometimes envy can be that way, too. Um, like, like in that parable, you know? In a sense, did, well... It, it made sense that if the other guys got who worked less got paid the same amount, then I should get more. <coughs> that just seemed only right. And using my sense of justice to then have the, the feeling that's behind it. Um, uh, in the parable, Jesus calls that envy. And then slander. I thought that was 
Was what? Swearing. Swearing. Um, slander is a little bit different than that, technically. Uh, slander is... Yeah, yeah, um, and usually, like, uh, I think a legal definition, so legally, slander is a thing, um, and I always forget the difference. There's another term called libel, uh, L-I-B-E-L, that's a different, uh, a legal term that you can, you can be charged with or, or someone can sue you for. Uh, slander is usually involves a lie. I think libel usually involves someone, like, in the press or something, or a public figure or something like that. Um, and usually they have to prove that someone was harmed by something that you said. So if you if you um, make a false claim against a company, uh, I don't know if you could do this in like a bad review where you make something up that they you know did wrong, um, and the guy loses business as a result of it, he could sue a person, an individual. He could be sued for slander that caused a a, a loss and be be charged. Um, the Definition of the word here, um, uh, defamation is another term that is used for, for that. Um, uh, the, the word, the Greek word, just means bad speech, evil speech. Um, so when you say, like, you're talking running someone down, like, that would, that would fit under that, too. It's, you know, it, what, I, what I'd point out, kind of like with envy, like, with envy, it doesn't necessarily mean... Uh, Wanting something that doesn't belong to me, like I'm—it uh, it could be something that I feel like I have the right to. Um, with slander, uh, that speech could be actually correct, but it's evil. You know, like you could—you could say things that are true and be wrong, <laughs> right? You, I mean, you know this, right? Either in the way that you speak it, but or just the fact that you said it. Why did you say it? Did you need to say it? You, or and you may have even had good intentions, but it hurt someone, you know, like that sort of thing. Uh, so slander. It's kind of like um, um, the, the kind of line where someone says, well, it's not gossip if it's true. That's, that's, not, that's not correct. Um, gossip most of the time is true. <laughs> or there's some truth in it. Um, the, the point is that it's spoken generally not to, to help situations, or it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's kind of, um, I think I mentioned, is that, is that the last Sunday? I should know this, I preached it. Um, where, where, when God, God is speaking to you, or he's speaking, oh yeah, when, when Jesus talks about the, on the last day, the, the nations will be an uproar, um, but you who revere my name, for you who revere my name, you who believe in me, um, God is concerned about what he says to you. It's not what he says to, about someone else. God doesn't just tell us out of curiosity about other people. We're always curious about everything else that God does isn't our business. Um, and which kind of is involved in it. So, what is he, so he puts out, has this list. Um, why does he use the word all? What's the significance of saying, put away, well, let's back up. What do all these have in common? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. If you were to put them under a commandment, sins against the what commandment, where would you put them? 
I would have gone with a different one. Which commandment do all of those fall under? Eighth. Eighth commandment, which is, <coughs> you shall not. I, I just asked the kids upstairs, and they knew it. So, <laughs> um, the eighth commandment: you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. All these sins of uh, I, I, the eighth commandment deal with, with harming the neighbor by the tongue, by the things that we say about them, um, which has the effect of, of harming their uh, their reputation, their good names, right? And malice, deceit, wickedness—they they could spill over into other things, but generally that's what's what's going on here. Um, which is very a useful tool for us and a way for us to remember the catechism is when we read things like this, uh, or you hear it in preaching, and there's a you know don't do this. In our head, we should be kind of tracking and saying, okay, fourth commandment, sixth commandment, um, we know kind of where it falls. If if you're ever looking, well, no. In, in preaching, if if a preacher is is telling you that something is wrong and it's not under the, the commandment somewhere, it's probably thinking God, because it's all of God's will is under the commandments, and so we should be able to identify that, and that can help us understand what's being, why God is commanding certain things. By it's a useful exercise. Um, why all? He uses it a couple times. Um, not, and some of them show up in a list, but all malice, all deceit, and then these kind of go all together. Deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. They're not good things. He could have just said, put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So he could have just said that. Why does he kind of, he add the punch? So, like, there's a couple things we could think of. Um, um, you know, if I say, you know, pick up, pick up your room to a kid, or pick up your toys, right? And then I, I, I go out and they come back in and said, I said, pick up all your toys, right? What is why? Why do I have to say that? Because they missed some. <laughs> they have a different definition of what clean means. And what, you know, when I, spent, when I said toys, I meant all the toys. Um, and that it's possible to miss things. You know, when you're kind of sloppy and you're a kid and you just wanted to get done. And could that be a temptation for us with these? Well, okay, I know he said all envy, but I can't help it. And, and so it's kind of a, it's a push against our, um, it, it, that it needs to be rooted out. Um, you, you have that language in the Bible, to root out, get rid of, um, in the Easter, the epistle for Easter day, uh, get rid of all uh, leaven. And it's going back to the, to the, uh, the Passover and the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And there's this get rid of all the leaven in the house. And sometimes leaven is used that picture and that is in, in 1 Corinthians for sin. And get get rid of it because a little bit infects the whole whole lump. So you got to all of it. Um, so it's kind of an extension, or it's it's ex all the way. Um, the other thing I think 
when you say put away all malice and all deceit. Um, it's not like malice as a thing that you can like. Well, I'm going to, you know, if I'm cleaning the room, like I just, I, I take out the malice box and I, I take it out and I put it in, up, away. Like I can contain this. Um, there are all kinds. It, malice, all these things take different forms. And there's, there's, there's many, there many occasions for it. You know, all, all slander. There's all kinds of things that might lead us to want to say something that's going to harm my neighbor. Or all kinds of situations, all kinds of um, degrees of it. And so it's kind of an extension then to, um, to get rid of all kinds of it and to, to, to root it up, get rid of it entirely. Um, because a little bit still harms. So. Next, verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into salvation. And it says verse 2 is the antiphon for the introit on quasi-monogenity. How is it appropriate for that Sunday of the year? So which is quiz time. Which I gave you the name of the Sunday. Um, do you know which Sunday it is? Which Sunday is? Congratulations. <laughs> yes. Quasi-monogenity is the Sunday after Easter, the, Sunday, the second Sunday of Easter. Um, and the antiphon for the introit, so you understand that, right? You've got your introit, the antiphon. Um, usually both of them are from psalm verses, but the antiphon is usually what get, gives the, the Sunday its title. So today, today, um, the antiphon for the introit is Gaudete, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. In this case, it's not from the psalms. Today, it's from Philippians. Um, and so the, the name of it comes from that. It's like the opening line of the liturgy. Just like we have our hymns are named after the opening line of the hymn. So the Sundays oftentimes got named by the opening line, which was the intro. Um, quasimodo genity, and of course quasimodo. Um, you recognize that? You know that story? I'm sure I've told that story before. Did you know where, where, how quasimodo got his name in Hunchback of Notre Dame? Because uh, this baby, this ugly-looking, half-formed baby, was left on the, the cathedral steps at, the, at Notre Dame um, on the Sunday after Easter. So Quasimodo just got named after the sun. <laughs> um, so he's, he's the Sunday after Easter baby. Uh, which, the text for that big opening intro it is like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. No, which is kind of... I, that was appropriate then for the baby quasi-monogenity uh, as, as newborn infants. Um, and the, the kind of newborn, you know, when someone's a newborn, they're not, you know, fully, they're a full baby, but they're, you still got some growing to do <laughs> when you're born. And sometimes actually very newborn babies kind of sometimes look like, like maybe they half-formed sometimes. Um, not like they show on movies, <laughs> you know, also the, the baby's all cute and cuddly immediately. Um, newborn infants, why, why that Sunday? So like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual notes that by you may grow up into salvation. So he's making a comparison between newborn infants long for not spiritual milk, the newborn infants hunger, and they um, 
desire milk so that they may grow up, right? And so the comparison here is you, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. Long for that which would grow you into salvation. So there's the comparison. What? Why would they, why might they pick that on Easter, the Sunday after Easter? I don't have a firm answer on this. Like, I, this is just something for us to think about and not observe. It's, it's not a, it's, I wouldn't, I don't, if I was, if the committee, you know, if the, the liturgy committee was picking texts that were appropriate for the Sunday after, after Easter, I don't know that they would pick this one. But it, it, it's come to us and send up and say, well, why this one? It is hard to believe, and the gospel for that day is, you know this, right? Right. Like, do you remember the gospel for the Sunday after Easter? Um, it's the Doubting Thomas story. So it starts on Easter evening, and then the week later when Thomas is with them, right? Um, touch me and see. So it, something, so we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Many years ago, and people didn't have our technology where everything's on your mind. <laughs> and you can read everything instantly. It just takes time. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does even now, right? It takes time. <laughs> yeah. So so growing growing in the faith. Um, well, what, what might we say? What, what might the use of this, why sing this on the Sunday? I mean, it's not like Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. <clears throat> Like newborn infants. They believe what their parents are doing. Okay, so like like newborn infants believe like the faith of a child. So like Thomas should believe that way. Like that we believe just like Jesus says, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We could we could make a, a connection there. That could be something. Sure. So the resurrection is the resurrection of Christ as new life, and for us as Christians, we through Christ are like newborn infants again in this new life. Not new in the sense that you know, because like you know, I'm forty something years old. I'm not a baby anymore. But we would still consider ourselves that the life that I have is like it's brand new. Your mercies are new every morning. As if I, you know, as if Jesus died yesterday and he rose this morning. That's the way we live. It's as if this life is constantly, like, new. And, you know, when, when the baby's born, right, the baby's just like, okay, where's, where's mom? Where do I eat? Right? And just that, that longing for new life looks for that. It needs the nourishment. And so our new life should to be sustained. You know, do we have this? Do we have this longing for the pure spiritual milk, which is would be the, the word of God, right? Word and sacrament, means of grace, that thing, what grows us into salvation? 
Um, I, I, I think we could. We, it would be great for us to just kind of imagine that. Imagine us like coming to the to, to church, but you could. We should do this too with our own devotion and reading life. That we would we would seek seek this out and and, and long for this and not you know. Um, I don't know. I try like to try to imagine imagine ways in which you could take in your life and demonstrate and demonstrate that that hearing the word of God was something that you longed for like a baby looking for a nipple. I mean, you know, like I, I maybe maybe just a, a tiny little thing that I think I could see in evidence here that I don't mean to. <laughs> it could be in evidence. Like, it, it, it's, a, it's a phenomenon here that I don't see in almost every other church, but like how the church kind of fills up from the front here, which is an interesting phenomenon. Because almost in every other church, it's always like everyone's in the back, and like there'll be like be people sitting in the back two rows, and then no one in the front. And which is not a it's not a significant thing. We've got sound system, the sound can travel. But just imagine if someone said said, you know what, I want to do that so I can be closer. Because the closer I am, the sooner the sound gets to my ears. I mean, I don't know if someone does this, and I'm sure that someone sitting in the back isn't thinking, I want to wait as long as possible for the sound to come from, from the Word of God to me. But just, can you see, uh, just a, potentially an eagerness to be with my Lord? I always thought in my head, when I, when I, came to, to find that the, the making the sign of the cross was a useful thing. Here's, here's was my, my thinking. Um, I mean, I read it in the catechism and learned that it was something that we were allowed to do, but like in, in my head, so the pastor makes this sign of the cross, which is just a, you know, it's a symbol, right? The cross of Jesus and the cross of Jesus, but it's usually associated with words like the invocation or the benediction, right? Um, or the, the absolution especially, right? And, and it's the absolution that I want, right? The symbol is a, is a reminder of how I get it through the cross and everything. In my head, the pastor's making this. I forgive you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in my head, what I want to do is grab that cross and I want to take it and <coughs> And I want to say this is mine. What he said is true of me. And it's like, I can't, I can't wait for it to get here. So it's like, in my head, I'm reaching out to this space and grabbing it and appropriating it saying this is I this is this is my life. Not the sign of the cross per se, but the word of Jesus. And and I long for that. Desperate to hear it. I can't get my ear any closer. You know. But I feel like maybe I should maybe maybe I want to get that much closer because I to long for this pure spiritual note. This is my life. I'm 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 just like I'm waiting on bated breath, waiting for this, for what is Jesus going to say about me? And then he says, and can't come soon enough. So, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may, by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Um, the question on the sheet is how how can a person taste that the Lord is good? What does that mean? Uh, does it sound familiar? Does this, 
And you could look at a footnote, and I kind of gave it away because I put the, the reference in there. But this is not unique to Peter, this phrase. He didn't, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, you've sung it before, I know, um, then you probably would recognize it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's from Psalm 34. It also does come up uh, tasting the goodness of God. That's what's in Hebrews 6, verse 5. So this idea of tasting God's goodness. Why use that language? Why, why, use, why not just say, if indeed you have known that the Lord is good, or perceived that the Lord is good, or even, even if you felt that the Lord is good, that maybe would say something different, but you know that the Lord is good, or something like that. Why does he say taste? He doesn't even say eat that the Lord is good. He's on a mission work. So he's dealing with a lot of people that haven't ever even heard of the Lord. Well, well, he's writing to Christians, you know, so... <laughs> Yeah, oh. to, to Christians, to the, the, the elect, the, the, in, in, in places that he's never even met these people, per se. Um, but, but they would have, well, some of them might have been familiar with the Psalms. He doesn't, you know, quote, you say, as it says in the Psalms, he just kind of uses the language. Probably because he's just internalized it. Um, that he's taken the words of the Psalms and kind of made them his own. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Something that has like everything could have been uh, celery or something like that, or 
I don't know. Like it's just nothing, but it, but it would you know it could do the job. But then he's he's made things like beef and pork and chicken and you know and, and other delicious things, right? He didn't have to. He's given us that delight. Um, and, and I think that's part of it, that you've tasted that the Lord is good. There's, there's, it's more than just like, I know that it's good. You know, well, the doctor said that this has a lot of vitamins, and that this is, you know, gives me protein, and I, you know, so I eat it. I can know that, but it's another thing to taste. A juicy steak. And you know, the, the, the juices and, the, you know, the mixtures, the flavors, and everything like that. Oh, that we would do that with the Word of God. You know, with, with the words of Jesus. You know, that, that, that he gives you just this delight and the satisfaction that, that he's, he's thought of me to save us. You hear that? I hope you, you know, the prophet Isaiah, um, chapter 4 of the Old Testament, Testament, he said, comfort me. Comfort my people, says your God. And proclaim to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is paid for, who said she's received from her Lord's hand double for all her sins. Ah, that I think there's something for us to taste. And to know who he is. That we, we, it's an experience. Not that we're, you know, we're all about the experience. Like a, it's an objective reality that the Lord is good. But he gives us the opportunity to taste. You know, he can just, he can just give us an IV. He can give us all the nutrients we need. Um, you know, in some way he could if he wanted to, I suppose he could use his Holy Spirit to just kind of zap us and give us like a, a spiritual ivy and then we're and then we're we're destroyed. But he allows us to delight in his promises, in his care, um, to know, uh, to to taste that the Lord is good. Oh taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, yeah, that elevates it. And that that it's a it's a deeper level of appreciation. There's growth in learning what 
what there's stuff that you know this the whole sections of scripture that I you know, I could have read or had heard read to me when I was 12 that at 420 but didn't really care about but now it just absolutely gives me chills and makes me weak you know you get you don't get to see it because I'm usually when I'm facing the altar and I usually control myself by the time I turn around and get into the pulpit <clears throat> but I the times I can't sin or I, I you know I'll, <laughs> or, or two times reading at the lectern, and like I, I, I got I got, I got, I'm working, so I gotta get through it. But I just, I just delight to, to like feel the word going out of my mouth. There's, I, um, but that, you know, we, we, we grow in that, become attached to it. Um, oh, taste it if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Then that, that, that is what builds into us. This longing for the pure spiritual milk. To, to long for that. Like it's life, like it's our very life. And what is our very life? Uh, again, going back to Easter. It's Christ risen from the dead. And his word to his disciples. You know, we get that every Sunday. You know, Jesus, what did Jesus say to his disciples on, the, on that Sunday? Peace be with you. Um, well. All right. Um, we might just. Brief, very brief. Just, we actually, Jesus has actually given us a way to actually taste that the Lord is good with actual physical taste buds um, uh, with, with his body and his blood. So he's also given us that, although that's not really the, in the, the front of the picture here. All right, shall we close with... Let's just do the first stanza this week. So I tried it last week. Uh, first stanza... Uh, praise to be in adoration. <clears throat>